This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Coming up on today's future award-winning Moranalytics podcast, episode 192. I got multiple guests on today. First, I'm going to have a chat with Buffalo Sabres super fan and one hell of a singer, Melody Martin. Melody wrote and sang a plain white tea song, a parody of Sabres general manager Jason Botterell that suggested the guys start making some moves. And this music video has exploded over 70,000 views on YouTube just in its first week. I'm going to talk to her about that song, her process for coming up with some of these really catchy parody tunes, her take on the team, much more. And then after that, I got my man, recurring guest, Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast and Buffalo 20 with me. Today, we're going to be talking Super Bowl, Damone Harris, Greg Olson potentially becoming a Buffalo Bill, Tom Brady, some Terry Bagula talk, much more. Very packed episode. A day later than normal this week, I was under the weather a little bit on Monday, so I'll have both those chats for you in just a minute. Before that, I want to let you know that today's episode is being supported by Audimute. For nearly two decades, Audimute has set the standard for providing cutting-edge acoustic treatments for recording and sound environments. From your home studio to commercial settings such as the office, restaurants, gyms, and auditoriums, Audimute is the best sound treatment company out there, bar none, and that's because they refuse to compromise on the quality of their products and service ever. Easy, green, and affordable. My home studio has Audimute acoustic panels, and the difference has been literally remarkable, like night and day. Look, don't just throw up foam on your walls that you can get real cheap from Amazon. Decide it looks pretty and call it a day. It may look the part, but it's not going to help the quality of your sound. Go visit Audimute.com for info and deals, including a free room analysis form and the ability to speak with an acoustic specialist. Do your sound. Do the people who hear it a very big service. Go visit Audimute.com. And on that note, let's do the pod. Let's do it. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. All right, everyone, what's going on? How you doing? Episode 192, Moranalytics Podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening, for downloading the show. Usually, like I said at the top, this is a Tuesday-Friday podcast, but I'm a day late. This is out on Wednesday, a little bit under the weather on Monday, and if I'm going to be completely honest with you guys, probably, not probably, actually a lot hungover from the Super Bowl. Although, in fairness to me, I had a very personal, vested interest in that game. I parted it up pretty good, did a lot of celebrating, especially after the game. I'll talk more about that later on when I'm during my chat with Jeff Boyd, but before that, 
I'm going to get started right away. I had a chat, an opportunity to talk with Melody Martin, who's a big Sabres fan and an absolutely fantastic singer. She writes Sabres and Bills parodies. And this one about Jason Bottrell that she put out last week, it really resonated with me, not just because of her singing ability and the artistry that she puts into her videos, but this song specifically, I think it really resonates with Buffalo Sabres fans who are just incredibly frustrated with this organization and more specifically with general manager Jason Bottrell. So I'm going to talk to her about that, talk about the process of making the song, how she feels about the team. And then immediately after that, I will talk to Jeff Boyd from the 716 Sports Podcast and also Buffalo 20. And I'm going to talk about why I was so emotional during a Super Bowl that had nothing to do with the Buffalo Bills. We'll talk Terry Bagula. We'll talk Tom Brady, plenty of other stuff. And let's just start right now. So here it is. First up, my chat with Buffalo Sabres fan and singer Melody Martin. All right, so I am joined right now by a very talented music artist whose Buffalo Sabres parody songs have been killing it on the internet. I first heard of her when she did a Dolly Parton parody of Rasmus Dahlin, which was really good. And most recently, she did a Plain White Tea song in tribute to Buffalo Sabres general manager Jason Bottrell that went viral again. I'm talking about Sabres fan, singer, Melody Martin. Thanks for joining me, Melody. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And I'm glad to have you on the podcast. I, I reached out to you instantly almost after hearing um hearing the Bottrell song. I heard the Darlene song before. I didn't know that you did other ones. And I went on your YouTube channel and found other songs. And they're really good, man. I was like, God, it's so funny <laughs> because... You. Well, let me ask you this, okay? And we're going to talk about that song specifically in just a minute, but let me start here. Like most content creators, whether it's music or any type of YouTube video that people put out there, really, you never know how it's going to perform until you record it and you put it out there. But when it came to this song, did you get a pretty good vibe right away that the Jason Botterill parody was going to do really well? Like I'm talking like the second you uploaded it, did you kind of have that vibe, that feeling that this was going to go over well? Because it certainly has. Yeah. Yeah, I felt pretty good about it. Um, after I saw that Dwayne call on WGR, I I was like, you know what? I think we're all kind of in a mood right now. I think this might work for some people. Um, so I, I had a pretty good feeling that people might appreciate it. I, I didn't expect it to blow up kind of as big as it has. But, yeah, no, I, I thought it was definitely a good time for it. Well, I'm going to tell you what, for people out there listening right now, if they're not on Twitter or they haven't been around social media for the last week, they might not know what I'm talking about. So just for those people out there, if you've already heard it, I'm going to play it again. Here it is. It's Melody Martin singing a parody. Hey, Jason Botterill, a plain white tease. Hey there, Delilah parody. So I'm going to play that right now, and then uh, we'll resume talking right after that. So here's that clip. Jason Bottrell, do you like it in this city? I've been watching all these games and well, this team's not looking pretty from my view. The spotlight shining bright on you to make a move. Hey Jason Bottrell, I'm sure things are not that easy, but your answer to our scoring woes was Johansson and VC. Well, it's true. Without Jack Eichel, we'd be screwed. What would we do? Oh, you 
gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Oh, you gotta do something Gotta do something Hey Jason Bottrell, that O'Reilly trade was rough How could you think that Patrick Berglund and Saboka were enough? It sounds insane But I hear O'Reilly's doing great So they say Hey Jason Bottrell, I just hope you have the answers Cause our ring's starting to look and feel Just like the Florida Panthers and it's tough it's a situation where this sucks Enough's enough Oh, you gotta do something 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 thousand days seems pretty long The team we had was one so strong I think about 2006 each day The whole league just makes fun of us And we just laugh along Because it's a way to deal with all the pain Bottrell, I'll just say to you I really hope you get us through We have all these defensemen that don't play Make a trade Bottrell, I don't have much left to say Because like Risto and Ryan I've lost my love of this game And it's a shame At least we have the Bills to play Postseason games Oh, you gotta do something 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 Gotta do something I love that song. <laughs> I, I probably, <laughs> I'm, I'm not even lying to you, Melody. I probably have played it about 10, 15 times. I played it for my wife, my son. They just got to a real good kick out of it. Let me ask you this. What's your process for coming up with a song like this? Like, how long does it take you to write? Does it happen instantly? Does it, does it take a long time to come up with something like this? Like, what was the process for, like, with this specific song? Um, Usually, for me, if I have an idea for a song, I will, it'll take me maybe a few weeks to write. For this one specifically, it seemingly wrote itself. Like, ideas were flowing so easily on this one because I feel like there was a lot of frustration, a lot that I had to say. Um, So this one... Like, I actually, the one night I woke up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden, for some reason, I must have been thinking about it because the second I woke up, I had all these ideas for lyrics for the song. And that's pretty much how the song wrote itself. Yeah, so I've never had a song come that easily to me before. What is the process like for you putting out these videos? Because it's one thing to take a song, do an audio version of a song, maybe slap a picture up and put it up on YouTube. I do it all the time for my podcast clips, for an example. But in your case, I mean, there's a lot of imagery and art and video. It's pretty much like it's not just a song on YouTube. It's an actual music video, and it looks fantastic, by the way. But what is your process for doing these? Um, it's actually, it takes me a while um, just because, I, 
before, until I started doing this, I wasn't, I've never really done like created videos before. Right. Um, so it, it, it takes me some time. Um, but I mean, it's all fun. Usually I'm going through like, you know, Googling pictures of things and I'm kind of getting a kick out of what I find. And um, it, it's nothing but fun. The reception from fans for this song has been really outstanding. It's got like, as we're taping this, 69,000 views on YouTube, tons of comments, tons of mentions in your tweet. Most of them really receptive to the song. They like it a lot. I think it's because in some parts, this might be a song parody, but I think it legitimately does. You put the finger on the pulse of, I think, today's Sabres fan. Has the response that you've gotten from this song been a little bit overwhelming for you? Oh, yeah, for sure, because I'm not super big on active, I should say, on social media. Um, I'll follow a ton of people just to keep up with things, but I don't really, um, I don't get notifications very often. So when, when I posted this and then all of a sudden I'm getting like dozens of notifications every, every five, 10 minutes and I can't even keep up with them all. <laughs> that was, uh, that was a little shocking for me. Uh, but I, I love everything that people have been saying to me. Um, everyone's been so nice about it and that's been awesome. And, uh, everyone's been like, Oh my God, that's exactly how I feel which is hilarious. Speak of your frustration a little bit with the Sabres organization right now. Obviously you're a huge Sabres fan and a, and a huge hockey fan. And sometimes I feel like talking to a fan about this, these topics are more productive than say a sports media member. They're unbiased and they're covering the team. That's their job. You're a fan. You're, (laughs) you have an emotional attachment to the Buffalo Sabres. And I'm sure like most, you're really frustrated with this organization right now. Can you speak about that a little bit? Oh yeah. I mean, the losing is one thing. Um, it's just, it, it's not entertaining. Like nothing, the games are, are boring. The in-game entertainment, you know, it, I mean, the games are, the atmosphere is not even, like you can hear someone talking three sections over. It's that quiet in there. And um, and that's just frustrating. I don't blame anyone for not going to the games or for not being enthusiastic when they are going. Um because it's just been so frustrating with all the losing and, and obviously, you know, about uh, the misspellings on the alumni jerseys and right. um, all that stuff. And it, it just is like, how, how are we not keeping up with everybody else? How is this so hard, you know? And so losing is one thing, but to not even be entertained during any of the games is kind of what's been more frustrating for me. Do you feel like in some regards, this organization is kind of hit, rock bottom right now. And let me preface this by saying, I'm not talking necessarily records or points or their place in the standings, but you know, five years ago, the Sabres were tanking to get Jack Eichel or Connor McDavid. The organization set that team up on the ice to fail. And I mean, it was pretty blatant and obvious, but my point is at that time, there was a lot of division amongst fans, whether you were pro tank or whether you were anti tank, that led to a lot of infighting amongst fans right now. It's a pretty united feeling right now that everybody is down on this organization. You got a superstar player in Jack Eichel, an MVP caliber player. He's playing at an MVP level and he's getting next to no help. And you feel like this is the start of his prime now. And it's getting rotted away in a campaign. That's just been, it's just been a really miserable season. And the general manager is not doing nearly enough to address this problem. It seems like it's being over patient right now. And I think Sabres fans for the most part are out of patience and it's hard to blame them at this point. But anyway, do you feel like in some regards that this is kind of like rock bottom? 
yeah, this this feels way more rock bottom than five years ago. Because five years ago, I was I was right there cheering every single goal the opponent was scoring. I wanted Eichel or McDavid so bad. <laughs> right now, now it's just like you know we're picking at the top. We're picking in top ten of basically every draft. Um, we got a superstar like Jack Eichel. Um, wh- like why why are you not building around him? Like I, I just don't think the needs of the team are being properly addressed. Um, like they got enough defensemen, they don't need any more defensemen. But like, you know how they need you, scoring. You trade away, when you scoring, you trade away one of our top players in Ryan O'Reilly, and then you really get nothing for him. I mean, who's going to score our goals? You know, there's an Eichel, maybe Skinner, Reinhardt, a few. You know? Yeah. No, no, no question about it. I wanted to circle back to the videos that you do. I, I referenced the Darlene video which was uh, a Dolly Parton, Jolene parody. I love that one. That had over 100,000 views on YouTube. I'm like, wow. You've also done mm-hmm. Ariel Speedwagons, Keep On Loving You. Uh, you did a Thank You, Jeff, in the spirit of Ariana Grande's Thank You, Next. Did these ideas come pretty natural to you? Do you come up with them yourself? Is sometimes you have a friend or someone else who might say, you know what, this is a good idea for a song. Like, how does that work for you? Uh, um, a couple of them, I, most of them I usually come up with by myself. Um, Usually it's just, you know, driving my car angrily, thinking about how bad the Sabres are always, um, <laughs> and just kind of thinking about that. Um, the thank Jeff one I actually stole from uh, James Gordon. He did a Thank You Jeff parody song about, I think it was Jeff Goldblum or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so I stole his idea. And then um, I feel like the Darlene one, someone, someone gave me that idea. I don't remember where, I, I think it came from Twitter. I saw someone tweet out that, they heard overheard someone singing Jolene, uh, but replacing it with Darlene. And I was like, Oh, that's cool. I, I could write a whole song about that. Um, but yeah, usually I'm just constantly thinking about the favors cause I love them so much, but, um, usually, so I'm always thinking about song ideas. Now it's one thing to come up with a clever Sabres or other Buffalo parody songs. I know you have a Buffalo bills one as well, but here's the difference. Like even where Dal Yankovic, became famous for making great cover songs, but I don't think he was a really good singer, like an actual vocalist. You actually are a great singer. You have a beautiful voice. Like what kind of singing, what kind of singing background do you have? Have you, have you made just regular music before? Um, well, so I really like, I didn't get into singing until I made that Darlene video. Um, that was kind of the first time I really sang and, and, uh, showed other people. Really? Um, I'm I'm kind of more of the songwriter. Like I like writing songs and uh, not necessarily performing. Um, so yeah, I, I really I've never been into singing that much. But uh, when I did see my opportunity um, through these parodies, I I went for it, and it's been so much fun. Yeah, and you're killing it. I mean, you really are. I'll tell you what. Before I let you go, tell listeners out there a little bit about Melody Martin besides these wonderful Buffalo Sabers parodies that you're putting out for people to enjoy? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I obviously everyone knows I'm a, as diehard of a Bills and Sabres fan as it gets. Um, but, I mean, I just love all sports. I'm a hockey player. I play beer league hockey still um, with all the guys. I'm the only girl on my team. Oh, really? And, um, yeah, <laughs> and that's always fun. Um, but sports is pretty much my whole life. Um, I coach kids uh, ages anywhere between three and maybe like nine or 10. Um, and basically any sport, football, soccer, t-ball, hockey, all that fun stuff. That's so, awesome. Are you Buffalo yeah, born and raised? Really I like sports. Oh yeah. Buffalo born and raised. Cool. All right. Last question. I'm going to let you go. I appreciate your time. 
as a fan, okay, what is your hope with the Sabres organization? Like right now, you, many other fans, myself, we're very down on this organization. It kind of feels like they're stuck in the mud, so to speak. But as an optimistic fan, I'm sure you have plenty of optimism inside your soul as well, just like the rest of us too. So what's like your realistic hope with this organization to kind of turn things around? Um, to be honest, like I, I just wish they would kind of cater to the fans a little bit more. I wish they would think about what the fans would want to see. Um, you know, and, and I, I just, I wish they would make smart decisions. I feel like they're just not like we need a top six forward. So they go out and get like some bottom six forwards. You know what I mean? Right. They just make, make better decisions. But, and I feel like you got Jack Eichel, you got Rasmus Dahlin, you know, you can build around that. That shouldn't be an issue. So I feel like that's pretty much it. Do you think that for this organization to move forward and be successful, that they might have to cut their losses, so to speak, and find a new general manager and maybe realize that Jason Bottrell is not the guy? I mean, I am still being patient with him. Um, I think there were some things, you know, Tim Murray left him that weren't very favorable. Um, and like you said, I mean, when, when we got him, everyone was like, yeah, that's the move. That's, that's the one you wanted. Um, so I mean, in my song, I didn't call for him being fired and because I still think that he, like he has to be good. Everyone was praising him like crazy when we got him. So he has to do something. And you know, we got Skinner for basically nothing. So that's not a bad move either. I right. just, I'm, I'm willing to give him a little bit more time, but I mean, if it's the same next year, like get out of here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I'll tell you what, I hope that in the future you have an opportunity to write a couple parodies for happier times with the Sabres, maybe a couple playoff songs down the road <laughs> at some point, but anyone out there listening, give Melody a follow on Twitter at Melody and Martin, and also be sure to check her out on YouTube or YouTube channel is Melody Martin. Really good stuff on there. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes as well. Thanks a lot, Melody, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate your time. Keep up the good work. I am a really big fan of your voice and your music. I love it. Thank you for coming on. I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. That interview was brought to you by Sounds Assured. So look, it seems that everyone out there is a podcast today. I listen to a ton of them myself. I spend hours a day listening to podcasts. And the biggest mistake that I hear I can almost instantly tell every single time many people make this mistake on their show. You go out, spend all your money on the best microphones and boom arms and interfaces, recording devices. But the problem is you get all this good stuff, but you don't treat your recording environment. I'm talking about mainly your walls and the ceiling. The result, audio still sounds like crap. Look, you need to invest in acoustic treatments. You got to make the gear that you spend this money on thrive. Sounds assured as top-notch acoustic foam. I know this because some of my own home studio here is outfitted with stuff from Sounds Assured. Multiple sizes and width. It's very reasonably priced and most importantly, really good quality. You could go on Amazon, look up the cheapest acoustic foam, and it might look good on your wall, but it's not going to work at all. Sounds Assured does work. Again, folks, invest in your audio the right way. Visit SoundsAssured.com. Give them a call. Someone will be more than happy to discuss your needs with you as a bonus. Use promo code Moran10 at checkout. You'll get 10% off any order. Do yourself, do your podcast, do your audio production a really big favor. Go check out soundsassured.com. Jeff Boyd, 
going on, buddy? How you doing? Uh, not much recovering from Super Bowl weekend like everyone else here, but happy to be back on here. There's a lot of Sabres crap going on right now. Happy to be back here talking football and hockey with you, though. Well, unfortunately, we're going to talk a little bit about some of that Sabres crap, but we'll save that for later on. I want to start on a good note. How was the Super Bowl for you, man? Did you have a good time watching it? I, I did. You know, it, it was nice and refreshing. To I didn't really have too much of a dog in the fight. Just not having the Patriots in the Super Bowl really brought a, a breath of fresh air into the, the watch party. Just me and some friends and hanging out. Uh, was happy with the, the game. It was a good game, a competitive game. Um, really would have been too cut up no matter who won. But it was it was it was good to get get there. And watch a watch a good football game on Sunday night. Yeah, yeah I'll tell you, for me, it was kind of the polar opposite. This was and we talked about the sports already tape and probably for me. I'd have to go all the way back to the last Bill Super Bowl. Was that Super Bowl 2028? Uh, yeah, Super Bowl, I think 28 is the last time the Bills played in a Super Bowl. Anyway, I'd have to go back that far to remember a time where I was more heavily personally invested in the outcome of a game. I was all in for Kansas City. And, uh, well, you're a Buffalo guy, so you know about Timon Harris. Local kid, time in high school, UB college, walk on, didn't even get a scholarship. I have a very long personal relationship with him, and he's kind of part of the family so it just uh it was awesome to see now he didn't really play much in the game but who cares you know what i mean he's on the he's on the field he's on the team and after the game they were doing interviews and they cut away on a, a tv camera to uh damone who was doing snow angels with the confetti on the field laying down doing it and it was like one of the greatest football moments for me personally <laughs> that i've ever seen because i'll tell you man you know you you never know and this year he was with Tampa Bay and he got cut. First he got cut from the active roster. Him making the, the active roster to begin with, the 53 man, was a pretty big surprise with Bruce Arians taking over. They went from a 4-3 to a 3-4 defense. He's not really a 3-4 linebacker or a defensive end. So him making the team was a surprise. Lasted about a month. Then he got brought back to the practice squad and then he got cut from the practice squad. So you're sitting there, you know, I'm one of those guys, I'm very nostalgic and sentimental. And I kind of like to look back at things like that. I'm thinking, you know, a couple months ago, this guy didn't know if he was going to be in the NFL again. And now today he's a Super Bowl champion. That's forever, man. You know what I'm saying? That's just, that's so awesome. I'm so happy for that kid. And, you know, for every player who gets drafted in the first round and is a slam dunk thing like Pat Mahomes is for Kansas City, there are hundreds and hundreds of guys who try to walk the path that Damone did and the vast majority of them will never get the chance that he got on Sunday. The vast majority of them will never even make an NFL roster, let alone get a chance to make a roster of a Super Bowl champion team. So very happy for him. You know, Kansas City was certainly the team that had the more the more Buffalo connection, of course, with Damone and then a couple of former Buffalo Bills who featured some more prominently than other uh, on that offense there for Kansas City. So I think a lot of a lot of people up here in the Buffalo area and Bills fans around the country might have had a little more of a Kansas City based rooting interest. And for for Damone to have that moment forever captured on on cameras, they'll play that in Kansas City forever. And he'll he's now immortalized in that city sports lore is that guy doing snow angels with a confetti on the football field after Kansas City finally won a Super Bowl after 50 years of a drought. It really is. And I'll tell you. He's become a little bit more of a celebrity on Twitter. I mean, it wasn't too long ago this guy had maybe 600 followers on Twitter. And you're right. To me, as somebody who has a high school son, it's just inspirational. I'm like, this is the kind of guy that you really should be patterning yourself after, trying to be like, trying to emulate most kids out there because you said it perfect. For every guy who's a first-round pick, there's 100 Damone Harris's and 95 of them don't make it, but he, he was one of the few. So anyway... 
point being is that I just had a very personal vested interest in the game. I thought it was a good game. Did you agree with Pat Mahomes being MVP? Because personally for me, if I was doing a selecting, and I certainly understand why he was named MVP, he did lead the Chiefs to two fourth quarter touchdowns that ultimately won the game. But I really thought Damian Williams was the MVP of that game for me personally. I don't know how you feel about that. I thought it was Damian Williams, and I didn't think it was all that close, honestly. I was surprised. I guess I shouldn't be surprised because this is a quarterback league and the quarterbacks are the faces of the franchise, but I thought Damian Williams was the best player on that field for either team on either side of the ball, and he's the guy who they they were able to you know, put him, he put that whole team on his back at the end, got those two last touchdowns to win the game, tight roping for the one to put them ahead. And then the exclamation point at the end to make a 31 to 20. I thought he deserved it. I'm uh, not surprised that Mahomes won it and he had his moments, but it really wasn't his best game. There was points where right? San Francisco was in his head. He was pressured. He was making mistakes, uncharacteristic mistakes. He was able to hold on to the ball later in the game and made some nice throws. But I I would agree that I think Damian Williams deserved to be the MVP of that game. Now, I hate when people do this, but it is reality and it does at least need to be asked. Do you feel more like Kansas City went out and won that game in the fourth quarter? Or are you one of those people? And there are some definitely out there who feel like the Chiefs or not the Chiefs, the 49ers actually blew that game as much, if not more than the Chiefs went and took it because. Some of the play calling in the second half, I mean, they I feel like they put the game on Jimmy Garoppolo's arm a lot more than they needed to. I feel like they should have been running the football a lot more. You have, I like Shanahan a lot as a coach, but this is two Super Bowls now, a 28-3 lead and now a 20-10 lead in the fourth quarter that he's been on the wrong end of with some very questionable play calling in the second half. I'm not as critical of this one as I would be of the 28 to three game, but the 28 to three game, they did something they got ahead and then they changed what they were doing. I think if you want to look at his play calling it was really his play calling as a whole. I mean, the NFC championship game, they give the ball to Raheem Mostert. He just tramples green Bay. Garoppolo doesn't have to do anything and they're easily in the Super Bowl. Raheem Moster was a basic non-factor, and they must have thought that the way to beat Kansas City was to run these gadget plays. A lot of Debo Samuel, even when it wasn't working, a lot of end-arounds, they tried to run a pass with him that Kansas City sniffed out. They were using a lot of gadget plays and just felt like they weren't doing the bread and butter. They should have just, you know, it should have been Kittle and Mostert, I think, a lot more than Sanders and, and Samuel. And it was okay when it was working. They got to up 20 to 10, but... When you're up 20 to 10, they should have just been pounding that football. George Kittle should have had double the amount of touches that he had in that game, at least double the amount of targets. He is the life and the heart and soul of that offense. And I don't know how much of it's on Kyle Shanahan or how much of it's on Garoppolo, because there were certainly a couple of plays where Kittle was wide sneaking open and Garoppolo threw the ball somewhere else. So I, I think it's a little bit of a combination of Shanahan gets more conservative when he's ahead, which you cannot take your foot off the gas against a team like Kansas city. That is very comfortable playing from behind late in games. And at the same time, Garoppolo not being up to it and not handling the pressure of that big situation. Now, you knew it was going to come after the game. Yeah, every time somebody wins a Super Bowl, we always hear, is this the start of a dynasty? And short of the Patriots, that never ends up being the case. In fact, I think you have to go all the way back to 2004 and then 2005 when the Patriots beat the first the Panthers, then the Eagles, to find the last team that won back-to-back Super Bowl titles. But, I mean, you look at this Kansas City Chiefs team right now, it seems like they're really built to last. First of all, I saw a stat where, 10 of their most 11 most used players, the guys who played the most snaps, are going to be back next year. And you have a guy who, Lamar Jackson was the MVP this season, and he deserves to be a unanimous MVP. I mean, I don't know how anyone can argue against that. 
But at the same token, in the same breath, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is actually the best quarterback, if not the best player in the entire NFL. He's probably, he ain't going to get worse. He's probably going to get better. So you look at this Kansas City Chiefs team, and I mean, obviously being in the Bills conference in the AFC, Bills fans don't want to see this team form a dynasty, but you look at it and, and just all the parts, and if they play any defense whatsoever, this seems like a team that might be near the top, if not at the top, for quite a while. It's hard to bet against them um, in the short term, at least the long term. It's going to be interesting because Patrick Mahomes is about to blow the roof off the quarterback salary conversation when he is up for his deal. And now you got another year here and some time where you don't necessarily have to worry about that. But a big part, I think, if, if this team can become a long term success is how do you build a football team when you have to pour millions of dollars that you can currently invest in your other assets? into just paying Patrick Mahomes. I, you might think he, he's going to develop a little bit, but he's not going to suddenly become, you know, able to play four positions on the field. They're going to figure out how they're going to fill out this roster top to bottom at a Super Bowl level while paying the guy. I mean, there, I don't think there's much of a doubt in anyone's mind. He's going to make the most money that anyone has ever made in NFL history when his new contract is up. And that is going to be defining what kind of role they can have. You look at the Patriots, Brady has always been willing to take a little bit less to keep that team competitive in New England. He's taken cut after cut after cut of his salary so they continue to build teams that made Super Bowl runs. Well, that's not the norm, and I wouldn't expect Patrick Mahomes to be like, oh, you know what, I'll, I'll make $10 million, I'll make $20 million a year just so we can keep bringing in all these free agent wide receivers. It'll be interesting to see what they can do, but I would agree that they're guys like Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. You have Damian Williams is not a huge name running back. He's not a huge money running back. They brought in Shady McCoy, and they barely even used him. He was a scratch on, on Super Bowl Sunday. So you got rookie Darwin Thompson and Damian Williams as your running backs. You've got a bunch of young receivers like Pringle and Demarcus Robinson and McCole Hardman. So they certainly have a chance here to make a serious run again next year. If the defense is as good as it was this year. Now on the other side of the field, with the San Francisco 49ers, sure. They were the top seed. And when you're the top seed, you expect to be in the Super Bowl. But you know, what about September? What about August when they were foreign coming off a of four and 12 season? If you look at it in that regards, it's kind of a Cinderella story. And I feel like, for other teams, this should, you know, one thing that we always talk about with the Bills, and if, if this, I feel like if this podcast has been around for 10 years, we would have been talking about this for at least half of those years. The Bills in a rebuilding mode, rebuilding process. Why does it have to be a three, four year plan when you take a team like Frisco, who goes from four and 12 to being in the Super Bowl? Now, I know Jimmy Garoppolo was hurt last year. Obviously, that was a very big factor, but I don't think this was a Super Bowl team a year ago with or without him. And he's not exactly one of the very best quarterbacks in the NFL. They just run the ball well. They got a great head end. They play really good defense, good coaching. Teams don't need to have, maybe if I, if you think I'm wrong, by all means, please tell me by all means, but you don't need to be having these three, four-year rebuilding plans. Those excuses, and that's what they are to me, excuses. They just grow tired because you take a team like Frisco literally going from worst to first in one year, and we're probably a couple decisions or a couple better Jimmy Garoppolo throws away from being your Super Bowl champion right now. Yeah, and then that one in the fourth quarter where he overthrows Sanders really sticks out, I think, for a long time if you're a Niners fan. Sure. And he had him, too, and that would have put them back ahead late in that game. It The the rebuild, as, as long as it takes you to acquire assets, and credit where it's due to John Lynch, who I think a lot of people were shaking their heads when he was named general manager of the San Francisco 49ers, but this is an organization that has done a fantastic job year in, year out of stockpiling assets through the draft. Bosa, 
Samuel, the trade down of the spot to Chicago, you trade down so they can take Garoppolo, you pile assets, you take Solomon Thomas, who adds some more depth to your defensive line. They have just hit on almost every single one of these draft picks, and they have done a great job of building their team very quickly because how frequently they have been able to just hit up. Like they've gone out with like, we need to improve this part of our team, and they've gone out and gotten the right guy time and time again. The problem with a lot of these three and four year rebuilds look at teams that have like Detroit or Cleveland that have been in what feels like a rebuild as long as I've been alive because every time they try to pick the new face of the franchise the guy flames out in two years they've done a great job in San Francisco naming top stars at all their levels bringing them all in and then it's been a really well coached team don't let Sunday's game take away from your opinion I think of Kyle Shanahan it's like a four and twelve team turn them into a one seed in the NFC and the toughest division in football in the NFC West then run through the NFC playoffs and come up just a couple scores shy of beating a really good Kansas City team I, I'm, if, I, if you ask me right now who I think would win the Super Bowl next year out of these two teams I think San Francisco is more likely to win the Super Bowl next year than Kansas City is mm, that's interesting I mean you have a very good case for that I'd say the NMC as a whole might be tougher so it might be harder for them to get back but absolutely I there are another team just like the Chiefs that are uh they're going to be built for a while let's switch our attention to Buffalo Bills here for a couple seconds because reports came out this week Greg Olson it was originally reported as him and the Carolina Panthers were mutually parting ways. But as it turns out, Greg Olson told a radio station in Carolina, I believe on Tuesday here, as we're getting ready to tape this on a Tuesday night, that it wasn't mutual, that the Panthers didn't want him. Regardless, it was reported by Adam Schefter that the Bills are one of three teams. It's the Bills, Washington, and now I've read earlier today that um, Seattle also has expressed some interest. So I want to get your take on Greg Olson potentially winding up with the Buffalo Bills, what your reaction would be if that happened. Last year, he had 52 catches for 597 and two touchdowns. Both those came in the same game. He was healthy last year. The two years before that, he missed seven and nine games, respectively. He had foot injuries. Healthy for most of his career before that, but he is going to be 35 years old next month. Clearly, his best days are behind him. But as a fit, what would you think about Greg Olson coming to Buffalo? It, it just feels like it kind of makes sense the more you think about it, really. I mean, they brought in Tyler Croft thinking that he would be the leader, and then he has a foot injury of his own. And then while he's not around, all of a sudden, Dawson Knox and Tommy Sweeney kind of become the, huh, you know, why are we paying this guy this kind of money when we could have rookies doing basically the same thing. Now, Knox and Sweeney, they were certainly had their moments. Knox had a couple of bad drops, bad routes, but I think that people see the potential there at the position. I feel like you almost would rather have Dawson Knox be the focal point. And if you want Dawson Knox to be the focal point and you want to bring in another guy who was a veteran leader, you figure you're probably not going to have Frank Gore. You're losing Lorenzo Alexander. It seems like the kind of guy that Sean McDermott would want on his football team, a veteran leader, a guy that he worked with in Carolina. And again, that Carolina connection, it's become almost cliche at this point, but there really does seem to be a, a connection between Bean and McDermott and basically anyone who was in that organization at the time that they were still there. I think it makes sense. If you want to move on from the Croft contract, if you think that it's you're better off building around Dawson Knox and you want to bring in a veteran presence, a, a sure-handed pass catcher is certainly not as fast or as good of a route runner as he was maybe five, 10 years ago. But I don't think anyone's going to knock Greg Olson's ability to catch a ball if you throw it at him. And just a consistent veteran leader who's capable on the uh, is capable of a blocker as well. Seems like it makes sense. And I I really am, am for it. If he wants to be here and they want to have him on the team, I think it, I think it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense as a fit. Yeah, and I, I've heard a lot of the Frank Gore comparisons. And I'm looking up the numbers. If you were to get rid of Tyler Croft, and let's just say they add Lee Smith as a cut too, 
The Bills could save 6.75 million against the cap. Croft alone would save about 5 million. So in terms of money, it, it, it obviously, it could work. But I'm not sure. I don't know why I would include Lee Smith because I don't think he would have anything to do with Olsen. I would say if the Bills signed Olsen, that I think Sweeney's spot on this team would might be in a little more jeopardy than Lee Smith because just the role is so different. Lee Smith is basically an extra offensive lineman where Olsen's a pass catcher, and that's kind of what Sweeney is too. So I think if if that were to happen, maybe Sweeney would be the one who might be in a little more trouble. And everyone's people are saying Jason Kroom. I don't know why. I forgot about Jason Kroom even being on the team, to be completely honest <laughs> with you. Before this Olsen thing, I guess it comes down to how do you feel it would help Knox? Do you feel like going in the year two that Tyler Knox, or not Dawson Knox, I'm sorry, is ready to take a major leap and become potentially a star tight end? Because, I mean, look no further than the Super Bowl. Everybody wants that Travis Kelsey. Everybody wants that George Kittle. Everybody wants that Zach Ertz, that type of game-changing tight end. So, obviously, is do you think Dawson Knox potentially can become that guy? I guess that's what it comes down to, don't you think? I would say it does, and I would say, not to answer your question with another question here, but if you looked at the available Bills tight ends, you look at Tyler Croft and Dawson Knox, and you had to think about which one of them is more likely to have that kind of ceiling, I think you know who Tyler Croft is. Tyler Croft is a career kind of number two tight end who's capable of a blocker, decent of a route runner, but he's never going to be Travis Kelsey. He's just not. He doesn't have the athleticism. He doesn't have the size. Who knows if Dawson Knox is ever going to get to that level of play, but he has the size. He has the speed. He's shown flashes of incredible pass catching ability in traffic. I think if you want to try to groom a guy who has the, the higher ceiling, maybe a lower floor than Croft does, but certainly a much higher ceiling. I think you start putting your eggs in the, the Dawson Knox basket and maybe you see what you can get out of him. Well, I'll tell you one thing is I like Dawson Knox enough that with or without Olsen, I hear a lot of Bills fans clamoring to go out and spend a lot of money trying to land Hunter Henry or, or Austin Hooper. I just don't see that happening. And it's not because I don't think the Bills wouldn't love having a tight end with that talent, but I think that they're going to direct their resources, I believe anyway, towards re-signing their, their core players over the next month to uh, you know maybe through the summer. Guys like, whether they're up this year or next year, guys, we've already talked about some of the impending free agents like Shaq Lawson and Jordan Phillips. I'm talking about the guys that will be up after that, like Tredavious White, even though they could extend him to a fifth, or Deion Dawkins and Matt Milano. These guys, I feel like they're going to spend the big money locking up their own. And I feel like when they go out, when it comes to free agency, I think they're going to try to find a couple deals. Like maybe they got John Brown on a three-year deal. They gave Cole Beasley four, although they could, they could get out of it if they want after two. Or maybe a one-year deal with a guy like Gore or Croft, who was signed for a couple of years, but they can get out of it very easily. I just don't see them handing out a big ticket, big money contract to a tight end, in part because they want to take care of their own, but also because I think they like Dawson Knox enough that a guy like Olsen could be a good bridge player, giving him another year. That's why. That's what I like about it the most, I think. Yeah, and it does feel like they really prefer to build from within than they want to go out and be big spenders in free agency. But I don't know. If, if the opportunity presents itself and Hooper or Henry really want to be here, I think you also have the opportunity with one of those guys to build a really modern offense. Think about the Patriots used to have with Gronk and Hernandez, how difficult it is to guard two big physical guys up the middle like that. If you could pair Hooper or Henry with Knox and Knox continues to develop, that is difficult for teams to match up with. And that really opens things on the outside for Allen to throw to Beasley and whatever receiver they draft and Brown and whoever else may be here next year. 
That being said, I would kind of agree that they're more likely to spend a lot of that money locking down the the core of the team and then continuing to build that way. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. I, I got no issues with Hunter Henry coming here. He's a really good tight end. I'd love to have him. I think he'd be a great asset for Josh Allen. I want to talk about a couple former Bills circling back a little bit to the Kansas City Chiefs in the Super Bowl who just won a ring. One of them, Sammy Watkins, and I'm sure a lot of people heard this week during Media Week, he had an interview. I think Mike Catalano was the one who posted it on Twitter. He had some derogatory things to say about Buffalo feeling like the coaching staff st- scoured him a little bit. First, let me play that clip for you. Here it is. I think it helped me a lot. Um, it, it left me scarred by just not trusting coaches in general, but um, I think that kind of revived my whole career. Um, and literally, I, I, at that point in my life, I didn't want to be there. And somehow, miraculously, I get traded like the next week and go to another team that was pretty good and go and, and, and go to the playoffs my first year at the Rams. And now to be in this situation, um, fight last year for third round and one game away from the Super Bowl and to be in the Super Bowl this year is blessings. Now, a lot of Bills fans got bent out of shape because he suggested again that he was scarred and that he couldn't trust the coaches. And it's pretty well documented that he wasn't the happiest person during his time in Buffalo. But I guess the question I pose to you is, is he really wrong, though? Because the organization kind of was a mess when they traded up to get him. The Rex Ryan era, it, it, the EJ Manuel, none of the, it, it just didn't work, you know? Yeah, and on top of that, he walked in at like year 13 of a playoff drought, a tired and mad fan base, a team that had gotten used to losing. The Rex era was a disaster. There was just a change in ownership. They traded up to get him, which puts even more pressure on him. And then while he performed pretty well, he has injury issues. We expected more of him than we ever got. And then the new coach comes in and he shipped right out the door. So I don't blame him at all for having those those feelings or opinions. I think that and we as Buffalonians and Buffalo fans want to hate on everyone who has anything negative to say about the city or the teams, but not everyone's going to have the same perception of, of being here or playing here. And he was here for an era where very little was achievable for that football team and nothing he could have done personally, no matter how well he may have played would have really impacted the fact that Rex Ryan and EJ Manuel were not going to win you a Super Bowl. and good for him on going elsewhere and finding that success. I hope that he's happy now that he's found it. Um, But I don't, really begrudge him for feeling that way about his time here. And it's not really, you know, it's not his fault that the Bills decided to trade up for him. And it's not his fault that they didn't take Mike Evans or Odell Beckham, who many people think are both better than Sammy. But I got no problem with that. He was in a bad situation at the time. Conversely, the other guy I want to talk about, LaShawn McCoy, he was asked about his time in Buffalo and he had opportunity that, again, he got cut before the season started. I'm sure that was surprising to him, maybe painful, but if he holds any ill will towards the Bills organization right now in his time in Buffalo, he certainly didn't say that during media day. In fact, this is what he had to say. I had a lot of fun there. At first, I didn't know it was so cold. Uh, but when you get there, it's like a different type of like vibe you get. Um, you know, it's like football's everything. And I enjoy myself. So when people ask me about, how ah, did you like Buffalo? I tell them, yeah, and they kind of seem surprised, but it's a special place. Classy things to say. When you look back now at his Bills career, I think he was here for four years. How are you going to remember LaShawn McCoy's time in Buffalo? He was the offense for a lot of that time. I mean, he was, he is dynamic. He is fast. His, 
unique ball carrying style, how he could always bounce the plate to the outside. Certainly at the end of it, um, it became a question of, well, how long do you want to hold on to a guy who is at the end of his career making that kind of money? I don't think at any point that his play ever became a detriment to this team. It just became a case of wanting to move on and move on with putting Devin Singletary as the lead back in, in this offense. But I don't think all I have are positive thoughts and memories of LaShawn McCoy in his time here. It was a great trade getting him from Philadelphia for Kiko Alonso. He was one of the better parts of this team when he was here. Um, and again, a shame that he didn't get to play on Sunday, but good for him that he gets to go there, get a Super Bowl ring. Unfortunately, like a lot of former Buffalo athletes, his first year after leaving Buffalo, he immediately wins a championship, <laughs> but good for Shady on doing so. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you, short of spoiling the end of Avengers, which I thought was a legitimate dickhead move. I really do. And I was pissed off at that time. Besides that, I always like Shady in Buffalo. One last football thing before we end with a little bit of Sabres talk here. It's got nothing to do with the Bills. Well, not directly anyway, but Tom Brady potentially leaving the New England Patriots, that Hulu commercial aired during the Super Bowl. It's been reported that the Raiders and the Chargers, Adam Schefter reported that both teams would be interested in pursuing Brady if he doesn't resign with the Patriots. I want him to leave the Patriots. I just don't think that at the end of the day that he's going to do it. I think they're going to find a way to get it done. I really do, man. I don't know how you feel about it. I really just can't picture it. Now, that's not to say there haven't been players in situations like that who have gone elsewhere. There's a number of you think of Emmett Smith as a Cardinal or Montana's time in Kansas City or all these guys, Brett, Brett Favre with the Jets. Like a lot of these iconic players for franchises do eventually leave and they keep trying to play and they go and have one last one last curtain call and move on. But I think the Patriots, if the reports are true, that they're willing to keep paying him. They want to go back and pay him thirty million dollars a year. I don't think he leaves New England. I think he's comfortable there. He knows the system. He knows the routine. He gets to basically be in charge of whatever he wants. Not that the Raiders, not that John Gruden would hand the keys to the offense if he went to Las Vegas, but it was, it's a lot of learning for him. There's not, he's not going to walk into a team that I think is a Super Bowl caliber team who also happens to need a quarterback. I do think that the Patriots, if they have to pay him $30 million, will continue to kind of have a downward trend because they have to pay him more money while continuing to try to fill fill spots on a team that's kind of aging and didn't look as dynamic as the other good AFC teams this year. Uh, But ultimately, I I do see him being back in New England. I would be not disappointed, but surprised if he ends up in Los Angeles or Las Vegas or name a city here. Well, I'll tell you what, if nothing else, he's making it interesting. He's certainly not committed, at least not publicly saying that, He's playing in New England. One last thing, too, about Brady. Do you feel like he already knows what he's going to do? Obviously, he's not telling, but if I, I think he knows if he's going back to New England. And if he's not going to New England, I'm sure he knows what teams are going to be interested in him. And I feel like he already knows if he's going to go somewhere else. I feel like he already knows what team that, that it is. So he was on the Westwood One radio pregame show for the Super Bowl on Sunday. I was listening to it driving over to my buddy's place where I watched the game. And the guy asked him if he had talked to New England and he kind of dodged around it. Then he said, yes, he has. But that's all he's going to say about it. I would agree that he probably has. He probably knows what he wants to do, whether it turns out to I'm sure it's waiting for someone to give him the number that he wants. And that's it. I'm sure if it's whether it's with New England or whoever, I think it is New England. But as soon as he sees that number on a piece of paper, I'm sure that his, his mind is pretty well made up at this point. Let's pivot and finish with a couple minutes of Sabres talk here. So earlier in the podcast, I had Melody Martin on, who of course has these wonderful parodies. The latest one focused on Jason Bottrell. You have that. You had Dwayne, the Sabres fan who kind of became famous last week with the call on WGR, the rant about ownership and just, you know, the organization just doing a really shitty job, frankly, when it comes to relations with the fans. 
and the knockoff jerseys and the misspelling of alumni players on, on the back of the jerseys is just a really ugly time right now, it feels like for me to be a Sabres fan. I kind of hit on Melody with this. I asked her the same. I'm going to ask you the same question. In some regards, now you're a big time hockey guy here, okay? I'm not talking about the team being bad in the standings. They've certainly have put worse on ice products out there in the Durnus drought and in recent years. But in some ways, if you factor in fan relationships right now and how they feel about the organization, does it sort of feel like this team's starting to bottom out a little bit? It it does feel like there's a there's a bit of a divide now between the ownership and the fan base because the fan base, the very active part of the fan base at least, is very adamant. They're like, hey, we just want the we want to know that you guys care. We want to know that this is getting better. We want to know what you guys think about it. We we're not content being this bad for so long. Now this is you just finish a drought with your football team. That's the better part of two decades. And now you start looking at the hockey team and it's getting really close to a decade of no playoffs for the Sabres. And at the beginning, you embrace it because you want to tank and get Jack Eichel. So you do that. You, the tank succeeds. And, and by the way, don't let anyone try to spin this. Oh, the tank failed. No, the tank succeeded. The tank only had one goal. The goal of the tank was to get Jack Eichel. Right. The tank succeeded. It's everything they've done afterwards that has failed. It's bringing in Tim Murray, letting him go through his vision. It doesn't work out. You get rid of all Tim Murray's assets. You start over again. And now Jason Botterill has a team that can barely skate 12 forwards half the time. That's against the salary cap with basically three players who are capable of scoring goals, which is a phenomenon. And then on top of that, and what I think has bothered people more and more going to a Sabres game isn't fun. It's not fun at all. There's nothing fun about it. I have I have Buffalo Bandits season tickets personally. I go to every single Bandits home game, barring some crazy life event. And Bandits games for 20 bucks, 30 bucks, whatever you, sp- you spend for those, it's a party. Everyone's having so much fun. You go to a Sabres game, it's like going to church. You can hear your buddy in the 300 level yelling at you down to your seats in the front row because everyone's just kind of chilling there, watching the hockey game. They do nothing at all for the fans to get them interested or involved. And then you compile with, oh, it's the 50th anniversary season. Let's get excited, everyone. And they sell out of those 50th anniversary jerseys almost immediately. Like they couldn't imagine that Buffalo fans would really want to buy them. And then they put on these nineties nights and these eighties nights. And they're giving Danny Gares out on a parking lot, wearing a Chinese knockoff jersey. And they're misspelling Andrew Chuck on a Jersey. And it's, it's amateur, like minor league level things that you don't expect from an ownership group that is came out. And the first thing they say is, Oh, we're committed. The, the sole purpose of the Buffalo Sabres is to win a Stanley cup. And this does not operate like a professional hockey team. They're treating it like a triple a baseball team at points. And then on top of that, you have fans who call Dwayne calls into to GR and a lot of people are like, well, yeah, he had a lot of good points. And all of a sudden that tweets deleted and buried and dead because GR is very tied in with PSE and the money that comes in from one bills live and everything PSE does. And I think it's just tone deaf for the, the organization rather than just kind of embrace and be like, Hey, we understand you guys are frustrated. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's figure something out. There's still no public statement from anyone, not a Pagula, no one involved with the team about, Hey, we, we heard this We're, we're we want to make things better. Let's, let's get through the season or whatever. They're just turning a blind eye to it and people are tuning out. They're getting frustrated you lose out of an all-star break to Ottawa and Montreal who are both pretty bad teams and the season begin trending down. Oh, Sabres are projected to have a 1% chance of making the playoffs again. And I think people are just starting to see there's no end in sight for this with a team with no money to spend. Jack Eichel's in the prime of his career. He's already having a career high in goals right now this season and they can't do anything with him. They can't build around him. 
it, it, they're skating seven defensemen. They're, the only trade they can make is trading Scandella, who was statistically one of their better defensemen this year, bringing for a leak, who was another pylon. And it's just embarrassing at this point. Your best goalie's hurt. And I think the sky is falling in on Sabres fans. And the gap between what ownership thinks the fans want and what the fans really want is widening, it feels like, more and more every year. Well, I had a follow-up question, and I'm still going to ask you that. But based on what you said, the thing that blows me away, and obviously you're 100% right, and you're sharing the sentiments of many Sabres fans out there, it just blows me away, and it's hard to believe that you have a guy like Jack Eichel, who is literally having the best year of his career right now. He's in that prime of his career. You have Rasmus Dahlin, one of the best young defensemen in the NHL, a guy who many people consider as having generational talent. You got a guy like Jeff Skinner, who's a $9 million a year player. A guy like Sam Reinhardt, who's a good player, former second overall pick. These are, you know, you got three, four really good players, but you can't even go to a hockey game and get entertained because the rest of the organization and the rest of this team is just such a disaster, which kind of leads to my question that I wanted to ask you. So based on everything you say, the organization being a mess, this and that, how does it realistically get any better? Because you know, you got to go out and add players to this team. But based on everything you said, and I'm sure players around the league talk and they know what's going on in Buffalo, what the hell incentive does any free agent have to want to come be a member of the Buffalo Sabres unless you're going to pay an absurd amount of money more than anyone else will? Kind of like how it used to be with the Bills. A free agent would only come to Buffalo if either A, he had nowhere else to go, or B, he was getting paid a lot more money than any other team in the league. I kind of feel like that's the way it's becoming out with the Sabres. You better pay up real big because why would anyone want to come here otherwise? Yeah, just go ask Ryan O'Reilly or ask Robin Leonard or any of these guys who have left Buffalo and they're pretty open with, yeah, it sucks playing there. And O'Reilly, much like some of these guys were just talking about for the Kansas City Chiefs, O'Reilly leaves Buffalo and immediately becomes a Stanley Cup champion. And clearly it wasn't his play or his ability that was broken. It was just his mindset while he was part of this team and the culture in the hockey atmosphere here in Buffalo is just absolutely terrible. And it might be, I don't know if I say this with certainty, it might be the worst in the NHL right now. The only team I can think of that comes close is Ottawa because their ownership situation is such a joke. Um, but Buffalo, there's no reason for anyone to want to come and play here. And if you want to know how it feels to play, just watch Jack Eichel at the end of the Montreal game on Thursday. He is the only guy out there who's giving a damn trying to skate and stop that breakaway chance at the end of the game. He can't get there by himself, smashes his stick over the uh, the goalpost and is just sitting on the bench with his head in his hands. And that's what it feels like for our star player. It doesn't feel like it's getting any better. They would to make it better to be here. I think ownership and whoever they put in charge has to take a very, very hands on approach to fan relations here for the next little bit. Make it fun for fa- incentivize fans to be there, incentivize fans to be loud, incentivize fans to. Show that you care. Fans at this point are looking to the the top of the organization and be like, well, nobody cares about what they're putting on in front of us, so why should I invest my money, my time in this hockey team? And no one's giving them a reason. It's really easy here in Buffalo. And if you want Exhibit A, the Buffalo Bills fan base that was never really treated like this stuck through thick and thin, and they went on to every Bills game and put themselves through tables and drank till they couldn't see straight and went to every single Bills game for almost two full decades of non-successful football here in Buffalo. They're starting to see, well, why am I going to do this for this hockey team that doesn't care about me? The fans think that the Pagulas and whoever's in charge and they, whether or not it's all on the Pagulas, they, that seems to be the scapegoat at this point. And I think for a lot of it, it's pretty valid. If the Pagulas don't care and the players don't care and why do I care? 
and they've had a license to print money because people buy season tickets. But you, you start to wonder if some of these people that have been really diehard don't start to get disheartened. And if those people start going away from the hockey team, I don't think there's an easy fix for it because if those seats start opening up and the money starts looking bad again, it's going to be really hard to convince anyone to come play in this arena. You make we make fun of Carolina and Florida, these non-traditional markets for not selling out their arena. Florida is a much better ticket than a Buffalo hockey game is by and far. Carolina is a super fun market. I've been to a game in Dallas. That's tons of fun to be at here in Buffalo. I like hockey. So I go to hockey games. It's not fun the way that it is capable of being fun at an NHL level. And I think that starts at the top of the building, makes its way way down to the locker room, and the players know it, the players feel it. I caught some of Jason Botcherill had a interview, an appearance, a weekly appearance, whatever it is, on WGR late Tuesday afternoon. And one of the things he alluded to was that guys were underperforming. They weren't, they were scoring below expectation and he didn't know if it was chemistry or an issue with the lines. But you look at a lot of these guys who he's obviously talking about, how much better realistically are these guys going to be? Because I feel like in a lot of cases, these are these players are who they are. Like Connor Sherry's clearly a guy he's talking about. Jimmy VC. You know, Connor Sherry's 27 years old. VC's 26. Marcus Johansson's probably another one who Sabres fans expected more from this year. He's 29 years old. You got guys, and then you get your bottom six guys like Gergensen's 26 years old, and Larson, I'm looking at the ages now, he's 27. These aren't really young guys. Evan, even Evan Rodriguez is 26. He's not a kid. You know what I mean? It's like, where's the help coming from? Where's Where are things going to change? And obviously, a lot of these guys are going to be free agents. In fact, I think there's only like five forwards that are actually under contract for next year or something crazy like that. So there's going to be a lot of movement. But again, I go back to, circling back to what I just asked you. A lot of these guys will be leaving Although some of them are stuck here on shitty contracts, I've sold mainly for another three years at six million. I just see a hard time attracting free agents. And I guess what I want to ask, and this is the second last question. So Botchero's talking about the lines and chemistry. Maybe he, that might contribute to why some of these guys are underperforming that I just named. How much, if any of that is on the coaching, which again, I mean, God, we're having this conversation again. We literally just said this last year with Phil Housley, and I feel like we're doing it again now with Kruger. I mean, I think for a lot of these guys, you really know who they are already. There's no surprises that are coming. Like Evan Rodriguez isn't going to wake up tomorrow and become a 30 goal scorer. The right. only guys you might think are maybe underperforming, you think you might get more of Skinner and you might get more of Reinhardt. But everyone else of these guys, Johan Larson is a defensive third center. He's good at that, but he's never going to be a shutdown two-way center the way that Ryan O'Reilly was. You're never going to get Gergensons to be a top guy. Johansson, maybe you can get a little bit more of him as he settles into Buffalo. But like Jimmy VC, Connor Sheary, these are never going to be elite goal scorers they're just guys who you want to we have every player on this team basically who isn't Jack Eichel and then Skinner when he's playing well and Reinhardt when he's playing well is a depth forward you can't have two good forwards and 10 third liners and expect to score goals that's how the team is built right now they don't have the talent at the top and that's why they struggle so mightily to score Almost in spite of themselves, sometimes they do win games because they've had good goaltending at points from Allmark and Hutton when he's been actually Hutton's played pretty well of late, not counting tonight's game. I haven't been paying attention to it while I've been recording, uh, but they are losing two to nothing as of right now. So not a good start. Um, <laughs> and Jack Eichel's going to go out there. He's going to score goals. He's going to win you games because he is playing out of his mind. But just think of that one Philadelphia game. Eichel has the flu. He doesn't play. 
they got ran out of the building. It was a joke. There was no talent on the dice. They didn't know what to do. Right. There, there is no death to this team. And Jason Bottle can say whatever he wants to. But like, oh, we think guys are underperforming. I think that he thinks that these guys are more capable than they physically are. I think his talent development. If he thinks that Curtis Lazar, who's played well to his credit, Lazar, Gergensons, Larson, VC, and Sheary is going to get him 100 goals. He's out of his mind. There is no way that these guys are going to move the needle. And I think that's there's pretty knowledgeable hockey fans in the Sabres Twitter community and the Sabres social media community. There's a lot of really smart people who know way more about hockey than I do or I ever will and know more about the numbers. And these are the people that he's trying to pitch this to and they're not buying it. And I don't blame him. Yeah. Last question. And I'm kind of sticking with this Bottrell thing here. Do you feel if things stand the way they are right now and the season plays out the way we're probably expecting it, they're going to continue to look bad and struggle and the fans are going to continue to be more and more frustrated because maybe they don't respond, but I'm pretty confident that they're hearing the complaints. So based on all that, do you think that when this season comes with a lot of work, obviously, to do during this offseason, do you think Bottrell's going to get another opportunity to kind of make things right? Or do you think based on the fact that this team is continuing to underachieve yet again and that fans are really, really pissed off, do you think this might be the end of the road for him when the season's over? I really do think it might be the end for him at the end of the season if they continue to fall the way that they have. That being said, I don't know how much doing that and moving on from him improves this team in the short term. And I think the problem is that at this point, there's no easy short term fix. You mentioned the lack of players under contract next year. Now, on one hand, that's not bad because most of these guys aren't worth anything. Basically, the guys who are leaving. But on the other hand, who's going to play on this team? I mean, do you think Casey Middlestat's fixed down in Rochester? He's been playing decent, but what kind of Casey Middlestat are we getting? Is right. Dylan Cousins even halfway ready to be on this team next year? Who Who is the next wave of guys if you move on from even three or four of these guys? They won't move on from all of them for sure. But you move on from two or three or four of these guys, where do the replacements come? Like the NHL draft, it isn't like the NFL draft where you draft these guys who have played three or four years of college football. They went to a, a bowl game. They're 21-year-olds. They're going through basically NFL-level strength and conditioning programs. These are kids who are playing junior A. These are kids who are playing college hockey. Casey Middlestat was in high school and got drafted. I mean, these are kids who haven't even like taken a college class or like had to do anything at like an adult level. And all of a sudden, like, oh, here's an NHL contract. We'll we'll see you in Buffalo next year. I don't. There's no easy short-term fix in hockey, especially when you can't draw free agents. You can't draw a happy crowd that helps you draw free agents. If you move on from Jason Botterill, maybe you bring someone else in with a different vision, but the Bagulas haven't proven that they know who to pick for hockey. They really did a great job in getting Brandon Bean. I don't know what other options they had or if Brandon Bean was the only guy, but Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott were the exact right call for, for Buffalo, for the Buffalo Bills. As good of a decision as that was, I just, this Jason Botterill thing, I was all about it when it happened. I don't know what's gone on, but he is just, he is struggling. He is drowning in trying to figure out how to do a salary cap here in the NHL. And that is really concerning because how many more years do you get to fix it before Jack Eichel's contract gets later on? And he's thinking, what am I doing here? Yeah, I'll tell you, man, sometimes you feel like you make the right hire and it just doesn't work out and you got to cut your losses. You can't continue on. That's what they did with Rex Ryan. And I'm starting to think that maybe that's what happens with Jason Botterill as well. And I'll tell you, isn't it frustrating to be to know that the more interesting part of the Sabres year is going to come during the offseason than <laughs> in what are we in early February right now? Instead of talking about Fe what did we, we didn't, I literally didn't ask you one question about the team of late as of right now, about how they're playing and, you know, February, March, 
You think they have a, a shot at the playoffs? It's it's early February, and we're already talking about what's going to happen in the offseason. It's just so frustrating. Absolutely no chance of the playoffs, in my opinion, and that sucks no. to say, but it's how I feel about it. I just don't see any possible avenue where this hockey team is capable of making a run like that. Unless they find out a way to clone Jack Eichel. If you had two of him, you might honestly have a chance of doing something. Uh, <laughs> but you're kind of stuck with one of him, so it, it just feels like this is going to get worse before it gets better again, and... You really hope that someone takes some initiative to try to fix things because I'm about to buy some $20 third row tickets at a Sabres game on StubHub like I do every year around this time and sit there and casually have a conversation at normal speaking volume at a live sporting event in an enclosed space in one of the best sports cultures in the United States here in Buffalo. And the Sabres have just beaten the fans down so much that no one cares and it's so disheartening as a big-time hockey guy, a lifetime hockey guy here like I am, to see you, you, when I'm going to high school, there's parties in the plaza, there's Briere and Drury, and everyone couldn't get enough. That building, you, you could hear the building if you were walking down Washington, just over by the Buffalo News, you could hear people for just a, a shot that came close to the net. Now I can be in the 300s and, like, just casually having a phone conversation with someone, and they wouldn't even know I was at a hockey game. Uh, so I hope they find a way to make it better um, for the players, for the fans at home, and for the fans in attendance here. Yeah, maybe I'll tape a podcast with you while you're actually at a Sabres game. <laughs> you probably would be able to at least two-thirds of it. You probably be, it would be almost dead silence. But anyway. Just don't do it during the floss cam, and I think we'll get away with it. <laughs> All right, everyone, give Jeff follow on Twitter at JeffBoyd716. Check out 716 Sports Podcast. Also, Buffalo 20, as always, bro. Fantastic, man. Thanks, as always. Of course, Pat. Thanks so much for having me. All right, everyone. That is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Melody Martin, as well as Jeff Boyd. Also want to make sure I thank our show supporters, 26 Shirts, Audimute, and Sounds Assured. Coming up on Friday's episode, I'm going to have a chat with Buffalo Channel 7 sports reporter, Adam Unger. Looking forward to doing that. So check it out, everybody. If you have not yet subscribed to this podcast already, please go ahead and do that right now. Subscribe to the podcast, rate and review. Only takes a couple seconds, and I can't emphasize this enough. Really helps me continue to grow this show a lot. You can listen or subscribe to us on Apple Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. Got new shows every Tuesday and every Friday. And when you subscribe to it, you're going to get a set to whatever device that you listen to your podcast to. You're going to get it before anyone else does. Also, go hit up Moranalytics Podcast on YouTube. Got original audio content that you're only going to find there. Not even going to hear it on this podcast. I also have highlight clips from current and past episodes up there. Again, Moranalytics Podcast YouTube channel. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Pat Moran Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guest polls, prize pack giveaways from time to time, general thoughts, banner with other people on Twitter. Twitter is pretty much where I park myself. I'm there all day, every day. So if you want to catch me, Follow me on Twitter at Pamoran Tweets. Thanks again so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that are taking time from your busy day to give this podcast a listen. The car, the office, the gym, home, doesn't matter. 
I appreciate it so much. I know there's a million other podcasts out there. So if you're taking your time, you're listening to this one. That humbles me. I'm so grateful for that. So thank you very much. Enjoy yourself. Stay safe. Talk to you again soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. Now is the chance to use reliable energy to grow your money with the Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. Our new investment product offers competitive returns, no maintenance fees, and flexible online access to your money. Make the reliable investment in reliable energy. The Dominion Energy Reliability Investment. To find out more, go online to reliabilityinvestment.com. That's reliabilityinvestment.com.